Have you ever wondered if you're missing out on the freedom of the Christian life? I was sitting at a coffee shop in Koreatown earlier this week as I overheard two women asking themselves this very question. Apparently, one of them had been recently asked if she was living a life of victory. And this woman had been asked that, or had been told that a true Christian who lives with God, uh, a true Christian who lives with God, uh, with favor, um, lives in victory. And this is demonstrated by the fact that this, these, this Christian will have the job that he wants, will have the friendships that he or she wants, will have no problems, and will have the money in the bank account that he or she requires or needs. And all of this could be hers if she just, and then she went on explaining what this person told her she needed to do in order to experience this Christian freedom. This morning, we're going to be going through, continuing through Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. And as a reminder of what Pastor Jeremy has already described for us in previous weeks, the church in Coloss came about as a result of Epiphras' proclamation of the gospel. After some time, false teachings sprang up in the church. There were some people that were saying that the Colossians needed to add to the gospel in order to live a full life in Christ. Epiphras visited Paul to let him know about what was going on in the church. And Paul responded with this letter, reminding the believers in Colossus that they had a full life in Christ because of his work, because of his atoning work on the cross. And in the verses prior to this, Paul reminds the Colossians that they have been forgiven that they are alive and that they are free in Christ. He also reminds them that that which convicted the Colossians of falling short of God was nailed to the cross. Then in verse 15, Paul says that the spiritual world had been defeated in Jesus. And now in our passage today, Paul writes against false teachers who were enemies of the church at Coloss. They were seeking to take away or to limit the freedom that Christians had in Jesus. And so this morning, we'll look at some of the things that these teachers were saying as Paul warns believers to avoid their attempts of taking their liberty. With that, we'll look at three warnings that Paul calls believers believers to look out for. And so if you're taking notes this morning, the main point of the sermon today is that we, as Christians, are a free people because of the work of Jesus Christ. We are a free people... Because of the work of Jesus Christ. And Christ has achieved his goal of reuniting his people to God. And thus providing us spiritual freedom. We are free from the guilt of our sins. We are free from the demands of the law. We are free from the sinful desires of the flesh. And all of this is a result or a benefit of Christ's atoning work on the cross. Because on the cross Jesus defeated the world the devil, and death. And so the first warning is beware of traditions. And we find that in verses 16 through 17. I'm going to go ahead and read that if you want to follow along with me. Colossians 2, verses 16 through 17. Paul writes, Therefore, 
Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, in this section, Paul wants to make it clear that no self-appointed judge, and in this case, false teachers, has the right to pass judgment on believers or to decide who qualifies for a share in the inheritance of the saints, according to what Paul wrote in chapter 1, verse 12. Only Christ, the one through whom all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, the one who is the head of the body, the church, the one who has reconciled to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross, the one who has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before God, only He can make these kinds of judgments. Epiphras told Paul about false teachers who were judging the Colossians' walk with Christ. And apparently, they were telling these believers that the way to fully experience a free life in Christ, they needed to uphold Old Testament dietary regulations, and that they needed to observe certain holy days. Paul being the loving and caring apostle that he was, addressed these issues to keep the Colossians from being deluded with plausible arguments, as he writes there in chapter 2, verse 4. Or in other words, to keep these believers from being deceived by arguments that are not found in Scripture, or by commands that aren't from God. Now, Paul had already written about similar issues to the Romans and to the Corinthians. In his letter to them, he addressed problems that were taking place among believers. He made it known that Christians have the freedom to live according to their conscience. That is, to eat or not to eat certain things. To observe sacred days or to not observe them. Paul warned believers who chose to abstain from certain foods not to despise believers who ate those foods. And he encouraged stronger believers to be sensitive to younger believers in order to keep them from stumbling. His main point was that followers of Christ are to remember the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul was saying, Beloved, the kingdom of God is not about food and drinks. These are non-essentials. It is about obedience, holy living, and the peacefulness that characterizes the believer's relationship with God and with others. So here in his letter to the Colossians, Paul writes against those who were using food and drink and the observance of festivals to judge believers. The difference between the first letters and this one is that Paul addresses outsiders who were using these issues to judge Christians. Now, these enemies of the faith had taken it upon themselves to judge who were true believers and who were not. They were using the keeping of Old Testament food laws and holy days as a grading scale to make their judgments. In the first couple of verses of chapter 2, Paul says that he writes the Colossians so that they are not deceived. By these teachings. That's the whole reason that Paul writes. He says, I I say this in order that no one may be deluded with plausible arguments. 
So Paul tells the Colossians, don't, don't let any of these outsiders pass judgment on you regarding these things. What things? The question of food and drink, festival, new moon, and Sabbath. Just like the other letters, Paul doesn't condemn these practices, but instead he explains that they were only a shadow of what was to come. Paul writes, these things, that the things that these men are teaching, these things are, were a shadow of the things to come. Paul makes it clear that Jesus Christ fulfilled all of these Jewish rituals and customs. Now, whether liturgical or contemporary, small or big, churches have traditions. People have traditions. And traditions can be good and many times hold deep meaning. So traditions are not bad, but when we get caught up in traditions, they can distract people away from Jesus. So there were some who were pulling traditions back into the church at Colossus and making them prerequisites for enjoying a free life in Christ. And Paul writes in verse 17 that Christ is the substance, the reality, the body, and these traditions that these men were pointing to were the shadow pointing to Christ. Last night, when I hugged my mom before going to bed, I didn't hug her shadow. I hugged the real person. I hugged her because I would much rather hug her and not the shadow of her or her shadow. It's easy to focus on the shadow of Christ instead of Christ himself. And these teachers were pointing to things that were pointing to Christ and not Christ. And so Paul warns the believers to beware of tradition. Next, Paul Paul warns them to beware of mysticism. And we find that in verses 18 and 19. There Paul writes, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Now, mysticism has to do with experiences. But before that, we'll camp out on the beginning of this verse, where Paul writes, Let no one disqualify you. One commentator describes the phrase, let no one disqualify you as carrying the idea of a self-appointed referee disqualifying a person in a game for not following the rules. And Paul here is telling the Colossians not to let these teachers disqualify them from their walk with Christ. Because according to them, they weren't following these rules. So... Paul says, don't let these false teachers declare you as unfit for God's kingdom because they don't measure up because according to them, you don't measure up to their man-made regulations. Paul also says, don't let anyone who is puffed up by his sensuous mind or with false humility, as the New International Version puts it, 
who worships angels, who go in detail about visions and dreams and great mystical experiences, say that you are not spiritual because you do not have these experiences. Paul wrote this to the Colossians because Gnosticism, uh, which is a heresy that existed then, taught that God was a distant God who was far out and they needed to either worship angels or invoke them in order for divine revelation, in order to be able to draw near to God. And if they really were alive in Christ, they would be experiencing true freedom in Him, and that would be, get, um, um, that would be seen in their having dreams and visions. They were teaching that the Colossians needed to have mystical experiences because that was what validated their new life with Christ. These teachers would stress the importance of the visions they had being puffed up in their minds with false humility instead of being concerned about their relationship with Christ. Now this puffing up is similar to the boasting that had taken place in Corinth as certain people there boasted against Paul because of their earthly wisdom. Those people were conceited, boasting in their own understanding and knowledge, considering God's wisdom to be folly. And so Paul warns the Colossians about this mysticism and about this pride behind these teachings. Paul warns them to be careful with these experiences because to get caught up in them instead of Jesus is to be disconnected from the head. From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So in order to grow, a Christian is connected to Christ. A Christian will not grow through mystical experiences. Uncommon experiences are not to be made the norm in the Christian life. I've heard of testimonies where many Muslims have come to Christ through dreams. And at first I was skeptical but then as I've heard more and more testimonies and then seeing, um, hearing testimony about how these brothers are, are, have been producing fruit through the Spirit, I've come to accept or, or say, God will work in certain ways, but these uncommon experiences are not to be made the norm of the Christian life. I had a friend once who would ask me, have you had any visions or have you had any dreams? And when I would tell him that I didn't, he would say, are you a Christian? Why aren't you experiencing these things? You're missing out. And for a while, I, I wondered, am I really saved? Am I really experiencing this freedom, this fullness of life that is found in Christ? There are branches of Christianity today that say that believers need to be experiencing certain things, such as walking a life of victory or Experiencing visions as proof of their being made alive with Christ. As I pointed out in the example in the beginning. Now have you ever walked around saying, I've never had an angel appear to me. Or I've never had a dream or vision. Or I haven't stopped sinning yet. I'm not walking a life of victory. I want to remind you that God is real. He saved you 
And he saved me from my sins through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. He gave us his Holy Spirit in us. And he is changing us from the inside out. And the more we walk with him in his word and in prayer, God grows us and the fruit of the Spirit is produced in us. This is a work of Christ, not a work of tradition or experiences. So often when mysticism is exalted and is made the norm in the church, believers can be led to think that that is the proof of living a full life in Christ. But in reality, it's how we respond in life to the difficulties, to the hardships, to the good things. It's how we respond to those things that that shows our fruit in Christ. Those around us are watching us because they know that we're Christians. And they want to see how Christians react to the same problems that these people have. And so, God has left us in this broken world where sometimes we're not healed when we pray for healing. Sometimes angels don't show up to guide us. There are times when people see in us how we react in this broken world as we hold on to the hand of God because He is in our life. Paul is saying that these false teachers that are telling you about or telling the Colossian believers about this mysticism that they were supposedly missing out, Paul says that this is not what God created them for. This is not what God created us for. God created us to be in relationship with Him. So Paul says not to live the Christian life focusing on worshiping angels or invoking angels or seeking these experiences, but to live our lives focusing on Christ. And the third warning, Paul says, beware of false wisdom. In Colossians 2.20 verses 22-23, Paul says, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, legalism says that a person's spiritual walk is defined by the things a person does. In verse 23, Paul writes that these things have an appearance of wisdom. There seems to be a certain wisdom about doing certain things. Now, we all struggle with lust. We all struggle with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Yes, we we, we struggle with pride, with greed, with lust. And we're tempted to think, if I don't do this, or if I do that, then I'll be able to conquer these sins. We think that if we come up with rules that don't feed those indulgences of the flesh, then we'll be able to walk this life that Paul is talking about. And we are tempted even to think that there's wisdom in that. 
But Paul says that this is self-made religion that draws attention to the self and not to Jesus. Why? Because this is a rejection of the gospel, a rejection of the salvation, of the work that comes through Christ. And so when we turn to regulations, we actually turn to ourselves. And so it's all about the person and not Jesus. And in verse 18, Paul says that this is done by a sensuous mind or with false humility. Now, sensitism is the belief that the body is so evil, never matching up with, with God. And so we have to punish it, starve it, deny it in order to keep it in check. So you have to use fasting or inflicting pain on the body in order to combat lust and greed. This is what Paul is talking about here, where people make some great sacrifice. Now, I grew up with this kind of setting where it was believed that, and it still is believed, that a Christian can't go to the movies. And if you're a girl or a woman, you can't wear pants. There was this kind of legalism that made people believe that they were spiritual and living a free life in Christ because they didn't do these things. And the danger there is whether people notice Jesus or whether they notice that a person doesn't go to the movies, or whether a person doesn't wear jeans. This is what Paul is addressing. These kinds of sacrifices that the Colossians were being told to make um, were not powerful, or are not powerful to change a person. They're not powerful to, to, to conquer sin. Even when it comes to how we eat, we can ask the question, should we eat healthy? Yes. Should we exercise? Yes. But Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.8 that bodily exercise profits, but godliness, which is being like Christ, profits more, not only in this life, but in the one to come. So Paul says that being disciplined is good, but discipline is not the means to spiritual health. Just because a person denies himself certain meals or inflicts certain pains on himself does not make him more spiritual than others. That's why Paul asks, how does submitting to these man-made regulations stop you from sinful desires of the flesh? You're not being transformed from the inside out. You're only attempting to fix the outside. Now these philosophies are deceptive because they only have the appearance of wisdom. And are incapable of producing what it promises. They depend on human traditions and on elementary spirits. They belong to this world and take away from the work of Christ. These philosophies also lack the power to make any real change in the sinful desire of the flesh. Man's greatest problem goes much deeper than the sinful desires of his physical body. A person may deny his body its natural desires or even inflict pain on himself, but still hasn't made himself holy or acceptable before God. The reason? Well, the problem with man is his sinful nature, not his sinful actions. No amount of self-denial or rule-keeping can accomplish this. 
It's only by the indwelling power of the Spirit that this transfer- transformation takes place. So what brings real change in a Christian's life is not found in shadows and traditions, nor is it found in mystical experiences, nor in self-denial, but in the day-to-day transformation that comes from being connected to the head, which is Christ. This is change that takes place from within. Our spiritual lives need to be connected to Christ, not on rituals and the things that we keep, not on mysticism, the experiences that we have, not on legalism, the sacrifices that we make for Jesus, but on letting Jesus and His Spirit within us, transforming our lives every day as we walk with Him in His Word and prayer. I remember in the first few years of my walk with Christ, I lived with a burden from trying to keep these man-made regulations. So a few of my Christian uh, friends who had well intentions told me that I needed to do certain things and I needed to abstain from other things. And so I kept trying to live a, a life of following rules, of keeping rules. And this made the Christian walk unbearable. Many times I thought, man, if this is what it is to be a Christian, who can be saved? I'm not going to be saved. I mess up all the time. And as I started reading scripture more, I thought, okay, maybe I'll become more holy that way. But I realized that the more that I read scripture, the more that I was able to notice my sinfulness. And so, the burden kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Because I was living Christianity as trying to keep laws. But when I heard of the doctrines of grace, when I heard of the work that God had done on my behalf, and as we've learned in Colossians, that it is God who transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son, that it is God who sought us and found us. It is God who called us to Himself. And as we've seen in the past, where apparently Zacchaeus is the one that was looking for Jesus, but in reality, Jesus was the one that was looking for Zacchaeus. When I started learning these things, that it is God who's at work within me and within His people, there was a change in my heart, in my attitude towards the Christian life. I went from trying to keep certain rules to wanting to be obedient to God for everything that He had done for me and everything that He continues doing for me and for everything that He has promised that He will do for me and for the church. And so, from that moment forward, which was about a year and a half ago, I can tell you that my life has been completely different and that has encouraged me to want to obey God. And so Christianity is not a religion about legalism. It's not about a system of rules and ceremony and keeping of ceremonies. Christianity is about being united to Jesus Christ. We live the Christian life as we abide in Him. As Christians, we must depend on Christ for everything. 
The same gospel message that made us right with God is the same one that keeps us right with Him. He is the only one who makes us acceptable before God. Not our works. Not the things that we do or don't do. He is the only one who can make us acceptable before God. He is the one who comes within to enable us to live the Christian life. And so people have believed the lie that in order to come to God, a person must first become acceptable to Him. When in reality, the opposite is true. A person must first come to God in order to become acceptable to Him. Because He is the one that causes that change within us. And so if you're visiting with us today, and you're not a Christian, I want to let you know that you too can experience this free life in Christ. Christianity is not a religion about keeping rules. It is about being united with Christ. The reality is, yes, we have all rebelled against God and deserve to be separated from Him forever. But now, Jesus has provided the way for you to be forgiven from your sins and free from the sinful desires of the flesh. Legalism tends to separate people from God. Christ makes people alive and truly free. And so if you haven't turned away from sin, and by that I mean living your, living your life for yourself instead of living in submission to God, God calls you to do so today. He is willing and ready to forgive you, not because of anything you can do for Him, but because of what Christ has done for you on the cross. And Christian, if you struggle with tradition, mystical experiences, or legalism, in such a way that it's all about these things and not about Jesus, ask God to show you where these things are a distraction in your walk with Him. Confess and trust that He is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sins to Him. And so Paul warns the Colossian believers to beware of tradition. Paul warns them to beware of mysticism or seeking these experiences as these teachers had been teaching them. And Paul also calls Christians here in Colossus and us to beware of false wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you we thank you that we can come before you because of the work of your son who has redeemed us who has made us right with you who has made us alive we thank you that the only reason that we are made alive with Christ is because of his work on the cross and not because of any rules that we might follow not because of any pain that we might inflict on ourselves, but it's because of the work of Christ and His work alone. <clears throat> Father, we pray that 
in our walk with you. That our eyes would be set on you. That they would be set on the things above and not on man-made wisdom. Not on tradition. Not on experiences or emotion. But on what you've revealed in your word. Father, I ask that you would strengthen us. That you would help us to continue depending on Christ. So that we would be being witnesses to you in the world. And for anyone who is struggling with tradition and wondering whether or not they are truly experiencing this free life, this new life in Christ, I ask that by the power of your word and your spirit that you would be teaching and guiding them, confirming what you've already revealed in scripture. So we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.